I say the old McDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O. Well, New McDonald has a startup, E-I-E-I-O. It's about entrepreneurship, innovation, education, impact, and creating equal opportunity for all. Michael, thank you so much for being on the Imagine AI podcast. Welcome. It's great to be with you, Chris. So for those that don't know, Michael is the founder and CEO of GSV Ventures, which stands for Global Silicon Valley. He's been researching, investing, and advising growth companies for over 30 years and has invested in game-changing businesses such as Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, Dropbox, Lyft, Palantir, Coursera, Lyft, and Snap. Quite the list there. Previously, Michael was the founder, chairman, and CEO of Think Equity Partners, an investment bank that was sold in 2007 to London-based Panmure Gordon. Before that, he was head of global growth research at Merrill Lynch, the author of three best-selling business books. His most recent was co-authored with Michael Carter, Mission Corporation, about contemporary capitalism. He was also awarded the best on the street by the Wall Street Journal. And in addition to that, GSV has a growing media company called Dash Media, hosted on Substack, of which I'm a happy subscriber. So it is easy for me to say that you are the most accomplished guest I've had on the podcast so far, and I am thrilled for you to be here. Well, Chris, you're very, very nice. And it sounds like you must have got connected to my mom who gave you that bio because (laughs) that was, but um, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Yeah, and for uh, listeners that don't know, we're actually both from Minnesota, so we have that home roots connection, the, the Twin Cities. You were born and raised in Edina, and I'm from St. Paul. Yeah, so the Twin Cities, you were across the river. When I was growing up, St. Paul seemed a long way away, um, but you know, in fact, it's, it's just a 15-minute drive or so. So yes, we were, uh, grew up in the same place. Wonderful to have you. So there's a lot of overhype that people experienced in the past year when they first became aware of ChatGPT. It seemed like magic. Do you want to set the record straight on just how long people have been working on AI prior to that? Well, people have been uh, working on, talking about, theorizing about AI for well over 50 years. And it is an area that you know has excited the futurists and the technologists you know, forever because you could see this movie kind of develop and where it could ultimately go. And so, I mean, these overnight successes take a hell of a long time. So I think when ChatGPT was introduced, it was this kind of aha moment where everybody else kind of started to see the potential for AI. And so what had been going on for a long time all of a sudden became kind of this, this overnight sensation, as you call it, I call it, you know, it was sort of a magic trick because now people could see how it could work. And it was pretty amazing for a lot of people. I mean, it's incredible for so many people. And I love with, you know, now we're just seeing new implementations of it every day and people are actually seeing it improve their lives. I used to have to type in like every word of captions in video as a video editor. And now there's just AI captions that do it for you in like less than 30 seconds. And it saves me like 30 minutes of work. There's all this stuff on the post-production side where I can just upload a podcast and it gives me the YouTube chapters, things like that. What is it about AI today that excites you the most? Well, I think a lot of it is what you just were talking about. The productivity enhancements are really transformative in terms of the time savings and the ability, not only just saving time, but now how you can apply what you can do and things that AI can't do. 
And so the kind of the advancement of humankind, I think, is enormous. You know, all technology has been replacing different types of jobs forever. But again, I think what this continues to do is allow people to develop in areas where they really can be uh, more creative, more productive, do things that, again, humans are uniquely qualified to do and let technology and AI, you know, do the rest. Kind of brings up an interesting question about, you know, what is the nature of work? Of just, you know, what are we here to do when AI can do so much of it for us? Well, you think about the last 30 years or so, and I call it the revenge of the nerds, because, you know, basically where the greatest opportunities mainly were was if you were a coder, had those type of skills. And so even if you wanted to really start any company, you needed that kind of engineering coding background. Not absolutely, but pretty much as a general rule. And again, as much as you see that as becoming more and more basic skill, the fact of the matter is that prevent a lot of people from pursuing entrepreneurial activities and other you know, creative opportunities that you need to that background. Well, so AI is not only replacing blue-collar jobs and white-collar jobs, it's also replacing no-collar jobs. And so what that means, though, is I can be a creator, I can have an idea, and I don't necessarily have to, you know, be a coder to launch that idea. I, you know, all this stuff can be done for you. And again, you know, that's so like what we've seen through the pattern of human history. People are amazing at adapting. And right now it's hard to contemplate what this means. You know, how, how, did, what does this mean where these jobs that were five years ago were thought to be the best jobs all of a sudden are a commodity or gone away? Well, what it means is people adapt and they find new areas of growth and advance the ball. And so that, to me, is really the exciting part. Again, people get scared about that's by nature. But you know, what I like to say is, you, know, you think about the first level of technology. It was about software, and software basically codified everything, right? And that, you know, so it basically made created process and, and systems. And then on top of this, you have this AI level, which all of a sudden makes that codification smarter. But on top of that, you got human intelligence. And that's where the true magic happens. And so I think what I, you know, I said, like Mark Andreessen, my friend, said that uh, you know, software is eating the world, but AI is its teeth, and humans are going to make the decisions what to eat. And when you hmm. think about where the opportunities are, you know, basically, you know, what, what, what's you know, is very, very powerful is, is, is synthesizing all this information in this you know, instantaneous speed. And that's super cool. But, but effectively, you know, if you use the investment term, it's basically creating an index, which for most people, an index is really good. But, you know, the opportunities are always outside of, you know, of that index. And that's, again, I think as we evolve and start to get more knowledgeable and more comfortable with all the different things that are happening and where you know, truly the value is going to be created, it's going to be extraordinarily exciting for us, for what's going on in the world, I think. Again, there's risk with it. We could talk about that. But that's my general optimistic view, recognizing also, I mean, there, you know, there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of things that kind of like interesting one time. That was interesting. Now I see the second time, not quite as interesting. Third or fourth time, this is stupid. And I think there's a lot of that. Yeah. As I set up the next question, I want you to think about like, you talk about the opportunities being on the edge for people that like these new jobs that are going to be created. For me, I was an English teacher for the first 10 years of my adult life. And I would have never thought that I would end up getting a job as a podcast video clip editor. 
that there is actually value in chopping up smaller parts of long conversations and knowing how to distribute them on social media sites. And, you know, I've had a good career in the last two and a half years doing that. And, you know, that job didn't exist five years ago. And I'm just wondering, are all the AI jobs going to be in the creative industries or where else could it go? You know, in, in the general sense, I think, you know, everybody's a creator, right? Um, right. Meaning, you know, I think the value is going to be, you know, whether you're a farmer or whether you're an artist or whether you're a lawyer or an investor, you know, or you're pot- doing a podcast. I mean, you think about it. I mean, the stuff that's just like general generic stuff, AI wins. Okay. It wins. Yeah. But if you ever tried to read anything of any length by created by AI and everybody thought it was so cool, have a, you know, it can do a sonnet. It can write like Shakespeare. It can write, you know, it can synthesize a song like the Beatles. Cool. That's super cool. But you know what? What it misses is it never captures the soul. It never cuts the edge. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always a synthesis of the aggregate. And to me, that's unbelievably uninteresting where true growth happens, where true innovation happens. When, you know, talk about imagination. I mean, imagination can be, by the way, helped by AI, right? Mm-hmm. But it's really the ability to connect dots, weird things. So, yeah, I mean, I think the creative field is, you know, again, I think everybody in some respect becomes a creator. I say there's really seven skills of the future. So people, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic are... It's still foundational, right? I mean, I think those are foundational. And then people talked about STEM. STEM's great. I'm not being critical of any discipline, but I really think it's the seven C's, what I call the seven C's, kind of playing off the seven C's of the, of, you like to travel, this is the seven C's, but the seven C's are the letter C. You know, the first is critical thinking. And again, being able to solve problems, not, you know, two plus two equals four, but really truly coming up with, you know, non-group think, innovative thoughts, you know, critical thinking. Second is communication. So whether we're speaking or whether we're texting or doing a PowerPoint presentation, the communication, how you interact with other people and be able to move things ahead through communication is a fundamental skill. Collaboration, teamwork, you know, how do you work with other people? It's not a future where you know you can see this thing where everybody's working from home and everybody's kind of got their own. You know, the best work is still going to be done with other people and teams, and that's where you come up with better solutions. That's where you come up with better performance. So collaboration is another one. Um, another one is creative thinking, which we just you know talked a lot about creativity, but creativity I think applies to almost you know everything. Civics, I think understanding what it means to be a citizen, having the, you know, the values that are part of this. Character, I think it's so interesting to me, particularly in tech, where, you know, technology seems to rule the world. But, you know, the character of individuals, the character of organizations, the values, you know, that used to be something that was taught in schools. And as things keep on getting more and more specialized, that's sort of been left in the dustbin. And I think that's you know something that is going to be incredibly important as a foundation to, to pursue opportunities as we look ahead. Yeah, though that's wonderful. The seven C's, not the bodies of water, but uh, seven C's of areas you need to focus on in education in the future. The foundational platform of learning, yes. This brings us to education and I know you're a big investor in some of the big Coursera 
I saw that was it um the dojo class dojo. I actually I mm-hmm. I, I, I use that in in Korea classroom. It is great. Like just assigning every student's got a little profile and you can give them points yeah. and their little characters and it's it's great. I mean AI in education it's a huge topic and I see the potential of AI to help people, so many people, billions of people around the world because AI is going to be able to know exactly where you're at at an education level and kind of like pick you up like that zone approximate development, you know, just always kind of push you a little bit further, know what you know and push you further down the road of education. I'm wondering what tool, like, where is the current state on that? Like, can you just kind of maybe paint a picture of where AI is in education? Well, first, I'll give a shout out. You mentioned Class Dojo, and it is a fantastic technology for K-12 schools. My daughter was a teacher in first grade, and she would say that was by far and away her favorite program that she used in her classroom. But going back to the potential of AI in education, first of all, let's just you know back up and put it in context, because we're in a knowledge economy where your education, your knowledge makes a difference not only for an individual, but for a company and for that matter, a country. And what AI has the potential of doing, you know, in that world where education, your knowledge is just crown ground zero of your ability to participate in the future. AI has the potential to democratize learning by increasing access, lowering the cost and improving the quality. Now, again, not, and, and you talk about all the different implications, but let's just start with, for the individual student. An individual student, all of a sudden, has an opportunity to have a personalized learning experience where with every single click, you know, this technology, it could be a study buddy. You know, you look at Khan Amigo, what Sal Khan's doing, where you, you know, it's effectively your personalized tutor. But every click, it's learning, you know, it knows what you know. It's advancing to where you're proficient, going back where you're deficient learning how you best learn things, what are the different ways that, you know, you, you accumulate knowledge. And again, done that way at a very low cost, because everybody, not just to be a rich kid in a wealthy suburb to have access to a fancy tutor, you can, for no cost or low cost, have a tutor that is basically helping you work through things and get you unstuck. And so, you know, we were investing in a company called Photomath. And Photomath, you literally took your phone and took a picture of a math problem, and it instantaneously not only came back with the answer, but what was the way to get there. And so, um, once again, you know, you think of the kids that basically just stop doing math because, you know, they get behind and everything builds on itself, and all of a sudden you just say, like, I give up. Well, what we know is even kids in poor communities, most of them have smartphones, most of them have phones. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's a whole game changer if we think about that in the right way. But again, AI for the individual student, I think, can make a huge difference done correctly. For the teacher, once again, it becomes that that teacher assistant, if you will, and can be helping and you are in the, you are in the classroom. So think about what it's like. You got to get 25 kids or whatever it is. Well, in a lot of the basic stuff, the, you know, the study assistant, the teacher assistant can be helping with the things that they have. You can be you know, learning, you can be using your best knowledge on things that can really advance the ball in that classroom. So I think, again, done correctly, it's a game changer. We, for the last 15 years, partnered with Arizona State University and put on a summit about education innovation. And so, you know, we went from 300 people and 30 companies presented at this conference 
to last year we had 7,000 people come to the conference, 900 wow. education technology companies presented. You know, Forbes called it the Davos of education. New York Times said it's the must attend EdTech conference. And I'm only saying that because you know, it went from basically nothing to this, you know, this major event. But what we saw, what we've seen is this explosion of ideas using technology and increasingly, you know, artificial intelligence is ideas to, you know, how can you level the playing field to help everybody get an opportunity to participate in the future through access to quality education? Nothing. Yeah, it's spot on. And every student does need a device without distraction on that device for certain periods of time. The biggest problem that I, I have a, a teacher friend that's at a public school in, in Houston. He says the attention spans of students are just going Nothing. lower and lower. And then they don't like there's no policy on social media and and everyone's got their personal cell phone, smartphones, and they're on TikTok all day. And it's just it's yeah. the discipline kind of part of it. So integral into instilling the seven C's. And I wonder. Well, you know, you're seeing it's interesting. So I think, again, the device can be a tool. But it also can be a tool of destruction, you know. So, you know, we like what I call, ma you know, weapons of mass instruction, not destruction. And I think your device can be both, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the, with TikTok, as you said, your attention spans like this. How can AI be used without the device and every kid's hands, you know, kind of being distracted and everything else? Well, for example, there's a technology called Merlin. By the way, we're not an investor in Merlin. I've known the people for a long time. It's out of IBM. You know, effectively, though, it's, for the, it's a teacher tool. Used in conjunction with the, you know, the whiteboard, which is in many teachers' classrooms. And it's able to effectively, with the voice activation from the teacher, be able to integrate what they're saying or the lessons that they're looking and being able to use AI to effectively have a kind of a very interactive, dynamic classroom. And so it's just in the very beginning of being adopted. You know, I'm trying to think. It's like 2,500 schools, something like that, that it's in today. But it's very interesting, you know, to watch how this is going to evolve, particularly as the voice becomes the activation and you're looking how it can be integrated into something that doesn't feel so removed. It's, it's just a kind of a natural blending, you know, the environment of a classroom. That to me, you know, has tremendous promise. So that's kind of an America and every country almost needs a, its own policy. How about for like the developing world and places like India, what can they do to kind of leapfrog some of the troubles that other countries have had to bring the AI to the masses? Well, first of all, you know, you look around the world, it is different. You know, we, you and I talked about China before the podcast mm -hmm. you know, where you lived and I've spent a lot of time. I mean, China 10 years ago was, you know, it was, it was all in. I mean, as a country, it was all in an AI. I mean, you could see the different type of uh, research that was being done, the different type of products that were being created, the applications, it, you know, it was like jaw dropping. And China was able to do that because they were able to kind of prioritize, you know, what are the kind of key things we're going to focus on? AI was one of them. And again, it was a decade ago. Um, you look at India, you know, India, people talk about it being the next China. You know, we're actually very active investing in India. And one, again, I think the opportunity is to leapfrog as they have in some areas where you kind of skip a lot of iterations just to kind of go to a modern learning infrastructure and environment. I mean, they've done that with their kind of all-in-one app, uh, which I can't remember the exact name of it. But you see it in India, I mean, there's this gigantic hunger for learning, um, huge mm -hmm. hunger for learning. 
Um, and so education companies do very, very, a lot of them do very, very well there. But a lot of them are kind of copying, just like you see naturally in many emerging countries, kind of copying things that worked out other places. And you got 1.4 billion people, gigantic interest in education, rising middle class, and that kind of works. I think the opportunity is exactly what you're talking about. And I would say today, at least from my experience, haven't seen that strategy being implemented either from the government or with the entrepreneurs. But I think it's a natural area to convene on because it's you know, really going to make a huge difference for what India is trying to do and some of the impediments they have as a nation to achieve the goals they have. I mean, they're doing, obviously, the wind's blowing out. They're growing fast. There's all sorts of entrepreneurship occurring there. And that is a big opportunity. Definitely. So language learning, I mean, all these AIs are built on large language models. And you can just see this pace of translations, like instantaneous translations. And, you know, pretty soon you're going to be able to have like an earpiece in and just have conversations with people in different languages and understand and be understood. But I don't think there's ever going to like, I don't know if AI is ever going to replace the need to actually speak like your personal ability to speak a foreign language. For me, for example, in Korea, I'm a beginner plus, an intermediate minus at best. And I've just hit a wall and I, you know, sure, there's going to be these apps that translate everything for me, but that's not going to help me talk with my, you know, in-laws and really understand the language and the culture. And I, I just know that AI is going to have this AI tutor that knows my body of Korean words and the grammar structures I know and just kind of keep egging me on, teaching me more. And I'm kind of waiting, like, I want to explore that a lot more. And I'm wondering if you know of companies or people working on that, and if you can see the future a little bit more of personal language tutors. Yeah, no, I think, one, there's a tremendous interest and need. And I think you just described sort of a practical application. You want a friction-free yeah. conversation with your in-laws, right? Um, and we're not there today. The thing, I mean, the technology today that exists is pretty damn cool. Um, but it's not where it's instantaneous or invisible for that Mm -hmm. type of transition. Yes, it's happening. You see this where the movie's going here. And so I don't know if it's a year away, three years away, 10 years away, but in the foreseeable future, that type of application language is something that people are very, you know, there's a lot of talent, a lot of capitalists going at that. I'll also say, though, just going back to these large language models in AI, something that's important to appreciate, the, you know, the B2C application and sort of like the magic trick of going to chat GBT or you know, whatever you're using and comes back and it's kind of, you know, you have the hallucinations, but it's pretty, you know, you say it's pretty cool. It comes back with in terms of the information, you know, maybe 80% of it's right. And that's going to keep on getting better. But when you're talking about mission critical things, you know, whether it's your employer you're a doctor, you're an airline pilot, you're whatever, whatever it is, you can't be 80%, you know, 80% doesn't cut it, right? And so I think, well, the large language models are kind of the, the mass application. I think you see a lot of traction where you're creating kind of a defined learning universe where it's where the knowledge that's being, the AI is being trained on, you know, has been vetted and, and is accurate. And so you're seeing like, you know, really significant businesses being created almost overnight with that strategy. Is there any other area of AI and education that we didn't touch on that you want to talk about more? 
Well, no, I think the enterprise is super interesting because in the old world, you had just-in-case learning. And I say just-in-case. You learn something just in case somehow, some way, sometime you're going to actually be able to apply that. Now you have just-in-time learning. So you're learning something at the place where you actually need to know it. And again, back to that piece, which is powerful and very, very valuable, it has to be right. You know, you can't be just, you know, right most of the time. It has to be 100% right or 99.99. It's just because otherwise, you know, disaster could occur. And so that's an area that is very exciting. Um, and you're seeing lots of traffic because the technology works to do it. There was a number of businesses that were kind of the first generation of this, which I'd kind of called it like you had a smart consultant on your desktop, right? Or you had a thousand smart consultants on your desktop. And that was sort of the initial. But now it's more powerful than that. And I think the value goes up like 10x. So that's, I think, a, a super important area and opportunity. But I do think just, again, thinking about how AI complements the learning that's going on already, the digital learning that's going on already, but it doesn't have to be just digital or hybrid learning and other, you know, physical classroom. Obviously, digital tools are being utilized. But you think about a company like Coursera. You mentioned we're an investor in. Um, they have 140 million plus learners on their platform. So what does that do for them? Well, first of all, the ability to have a more targeted, individualized learning experience for that individual learner to be able to learn from all the 140 million people on the platform in different ways that people are learning things better, what they're interested in. You know, I mean, you just, it, it just becomes this massive knowledge network that reinforces or accelerates the value to the people on it in terms of the experience they're having. The ability with AI to have, you know, you look at, you know, the evolution of credentials. You know, let's just call them the credential that everybody you know, knows and thinks about is the diploma. And the diploma historically was that thing you traded in exchange for opportunity. You know, the more prestigious the institution you went to, the more valuable it was and so forth. And it's not that that goes away, but all of a sudden, and, and so then the next iteration was then you added certificates onto it. And that's good. I mean, now you're adding to that kind of qualification of what gives you opportunity in exchange. You know, you have more value because there's more things that you're exchanging for opportunity. But all of a sudden, you throw AI in the mix. And AI can give you that much more precise information about what your true capabilities are, you know, what your skills are, what your experience is, and how that will apply to opportunities on a dynamic, ongoing basis. And that's powerful as well. So what I say about, let me just back it up, and I probably should have started with this. As we think of AI, you know, we say it's like air. And we think there's an AI revolution going on, and I'm delighted to be on this podcast because you're focused on this AI revolution. So we say it's like air, you know, AI revolution, air. But air is invisible, air is ubiquitous, and you need it to live. And so, you know, there's obviously downside to AI. There's obviously, it's because of things naturally work when you have this revolutionary technology. There's a hype cycle that's, that's gone on going on. You know, that's all part of the mix. But as it relates to being implemented, utilized, and integrated properly in almost every facet of our life, and whether you're talking about, you know, our work or our fitness and health, or we're talking about our leisure, I mean, AI is going to play a role. And again, I think done correctly, it's going to be an incredible positive. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm wondering about the investing in AI and all these, you know, venture capital. It's like the new buzzword. And I actually saw on Dash Media a nice uh, bar graph that you had how in 2020 VCs had put $500 million into AI companies. And by 2023, that number says 40x to over $20 billion this last year invested in AI companies. Is that trend just going to continue? Is that a bunch of wasted money? I mean, they can't all be hits, right? And what's your thought there? Yeah. So, so one, yeah, I think you got to look at that over a long period of time and effectively mm-hmm. what it signals. You know, capital is pretty smart over time. It flows to where the best risk adjusted return is. And, you know, with AI, like I think the internet 30 years ago, all of a sudden, you know, investors have seen like, you know, this is the gold rush. And so everybody needs to participate. That's part of it. Part of it, and this isn't to be critical because there's a lot of really good venture capital firms. But like everything, venture capital tends to, you know, birds of a feather flock together. You know, there's a lot, there's comfort in numbers. So, you know, all of a sudden AI is hot. Well, everybody has to be in it. It's better to be wrong with friends than to be wrong by yourself. And, and, and so you basically, you know, you're in the investment business, the venture capital business. In 2023, you had to be in, in AI or are you asleep? And again, what that, of course, will result in is a number of failures. You'll see things shake out. But I think if you see this the kind of this natural path of capital and sorting things out, what will happen is you're going to see some very big winners created. You're going to see you know half the companies will disappear. And I think you'll see industry emerge that has all these different components. Because when you talk about AI... You know, it's made up of like seven different areas at least, just seven general areas. You're going through these different kind of phases today. And again, I go back to the internet as a good analog because, you know, the internet first started in 1968 or whatever it was in the universities. And, you know, nobody had, unless you were, uh, you know, a, a geek, you know, unless you were into science fiction or you were in research at a university, you didn't, you know, you never knew what the internet was. And so that had happened for 25 years. And then all of a sudden Mosaic comes out. And people, just like when ChatGBT came out, and people said, wow, I can really, really pretty easily access this really cool thing that has me access to all this information. And but with that, so then you had this mad gold rush. You had a bunch of interesting things funded, a bunch of bad things funded, a lot of destruction, and it kept on kind of going through these waves. But now you look today, and you know the biggest companies in the world are internet-related businesses at least benefited greatly from, you know, being part of the internet revolution that's been really going on for the last 30 years. Now we're in the next revolution, that's the AI revolution. You spoke of the biggest winners. Who do you think will be the biggest winner of the AI game with the models that are out there? I mean, there's Google, OpenAI, Microsoft, Anthropic, Amazon, Facebook has the open source Llama. I'm wondering, do you have a pick? Who do you think is going to be the winner? So here's what I think. First of all, Google was, you know, early and had the smartest people doing the most interesting things for the longest time. And then sort of, you know, kind of quietly, unexpectedly, you know, ChatGBT and sort of the Microsoft consortium emerged. And, you know, Microsoft can't seem to do anything wrong. And today they're the largest market cap company in the world. And the reason for that, a lot of that, is because, you know, people love their overall strategy and specifically their AI strategy. I think that, you know, Google has woken up and there's a lot of very powerful 
assets there and, and some really smart people. So I think that race between those two are going to be incredibly interesting. I think, you know, Amazon is a force in its own right. But, you know, I think like a lot of things, some of the companies that haven't even been born yet, that if, if we have the, when we have this conversation 10, 15 years from now, my real bet will be, yeah, you know, Microsoft is going to be a great company and they're going to do well and Google's going to do well and Amazon's going to do well. And, you know, Facebook seems to have got their mojo back a bit. You know, they're not going to go away. But I think the really exciting companies maybe haven't even been started yet because the infrastructure support this, the knowledge, the need, all this stuff is being created. And, you know, and talent goes where opportunity is. So the talent that's coming here, the capital that's going to be available here. I mean, Chris, I think there's a lot of interesting companies that have received a lot of money. But let's let uh, 10 years from now, I think my bet is the companies that everybody's buzzing about don't even exist yet. So when you look back 20 years ago, when you were investing in some of the like Facebook, I'm not sure if you yeah. invested when you invested in Facebook, but Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, Dropbox, Lyft, Snap. What was the first company there? Can you tell me some some stories of war stories? Yeah, war stories. First of all, my passion is on growth investing and emerging growth investing as a growth research analyst. And so where I get where I feel like my skill set is is after a company, not at the seed stage or the very beginning, you know, where basically you're betting on the entrepreneur and a technology, or at least that's you know, it's, it's after the company, you know, are the dogs eating the dog food and you're starting to see a business model emerge or you're seeing at least, you know, where this is going. That's where I get, you know, that's where I feel like, you know, I'm at least, at least I'm confident in my ability to make a judgment of where that can go. So that track, you know, we were involved privately with all those great businesses, but it wasn't the seed or series A. Lyft might have been series, Lyft was series A, I think. But others were, you know, B round and, and beyond. But the point is, what are you looking for in any of these companies? Well, at least where I'm, the skill set that, that I think I have is, it's what I call the five P's. And so the, those five P's, you know, people talk about what they look for and it could, you know, it sounds a lot of different things, but it's really these five P's, which are the foundation of every great business. And the first people is the most important P. That's people. There's no shortage of interesting ideas, but in these companies don't have long histories, but the people do. So you're betting on winners, people that you think can execute against an opportunity. The second P is product. What you're looking for is investing in a company that truly is the leader at what it does. One of a kind of businesses has a true claim to fame. When you look at technology, it's all about disproportionate gain to the leader in a category. And that's been true from the beginning of time. Third P is potential. How big can it be? Now, what's the size of the market? Not so much even today, but what's the growth? What it will be three, five, 10, 15 years from now? What are the mega trends that create tailwinds at the back of this opportunity? The fourth P is predictability. How visible is this growth? What's the business model? What are the signposts on the highway indicating I'm on target to reach the destination? And the fifth P is purpose. And you mentioned the third book that I wrote with my friend Mike Carter called Mission Corporation. This is this trend that we see going on back to like, you know, if you want to know where the future is, look where the talent goes, right? It's not where the capital goes where the talent goes. It's not where the, the talent doesn't go where the capital goes. It's the capital goes where the talent goes. And where the talent is going is they want to be involved with businesses that aren't just making money or don't just have an opportunity to make their family wealthy. 
They want to be at businesses. They want to create businesses that are actually making society better or advancing humankind. And so purpose, having purpose to business. I say the great businesses of tomorrow are going to have the ambition of a for-profit and the heart of a not-for-profit. And that's because these talented entrepreneurs, that's what they want to spend their time doing. And they'll attract coworkers to work with them because the coworkers want the same thing. They want to be part of something that is bigger than themselves or just beyond just putting up their paycheck. I love that so much, Michael. Thank you so much for sharing. So just kind of wrapping up our podcast here, I wanted to make sure to let you know about the Imagine AI Live conference that is also going on in two months from now, about March 27th to the 28th in Las Vegas. And the, the founder, he's like 53, and he's kind of talking a, a lot about some of the things you touched on today of how this moment feels like the internet moment from 30 years ago when you know it changed everything and you can just sense in the air and he feels that now again with ai and we're trying to get the leading ai startups creators builders all at the new fontainebleau hotel for two days of speeches and networking and some parties in the evening and it's going to be a great time. And so I'd love to uh, pass you on some more information about that because it would be amazing if you would want to come speak and talk about AI and education. And I know we could uh, get you a nice founder pass for that as well. Well, Chris, first of all, I love what you're doing. I appreciate being on your podcast. If it works on my calendar, I promise you uh, I'll be there if I can. And I'd be delighted to speak, but importantly, I'd be delighted to support what you're doing. You know, I, I think conferences are a wonderful way to have that personal connection. It's great to do things in Zoom and all that, but there's nothing like the opportunity to hang in a room and share ideas and create the future together. So thank you for bringing that up. And again, I'd love to go if I can. Oh, thanks so much, Michael. Yeah, I'd love the opportunity to meet you in person as well. And uh, I, I want to go to some of these conferences. I want to go to that EdTech conference that you talked about in Arizona. That sounds amazing. That's 15th through the 17th San Diego, but the two days before it, we're having what we call the air show. Air show stands for AI revolution. So it's going to be AI and education. And that's free. So the, the conference after that, the 15th and 17th is an expensive ticket, but the air show itself is free. And that's just going to be a fun festival, basically, with people with a bunch of cool technology that's applied to education. So yeah, anybody who's listening to that, come to San Diego that weekend and it'll be a fun time. Okay. Do you want to say anything about Dash Media? What is Dash Media and what are you guys building? Yeah, Dash Media, we had Brent Pass, uh, who is the leader of it. Um, but what we're doing is we're creating a media business that is really focused on innovation and entrepreneurship. As, as you mentioned, our flagship publication is called EIEIO. I say old McDonald had a farm, EIEIO. Well, new McDonald has a startup, EIEIO. It's about entrepreneurship, innovation, education. Uh, impact and create an equal opportunity for all. So that comes out weekly. We have podcasts that we do. One is on leadership called Going Deep. It's around I Love Football. So we have a bunch of leaders from the American football that talk about lessons they learned from that. We have Ed on the Edge, which is you know, innovation education. Uh, we're going to create something about AI. You know, we'll call it the air show. So that's important. Then we have another weekly that's an aggregation of the most important articles that have appeared in education. But it's really about innovation, entrepreneurship, and growth. And so if people have an interest in that, you know, we'd love for you to come. It's dashmedia.co. I think we have yeah. 40,000 people today that subscribe, and hopefully it will continue to grow. 
Yeah, I'm a subscriber. I, I really enjoy it. And I'm excited to see what you guys grow it into because it's already a lot of great content and want to see more. Thank you. Well, we appreciate it and we'd love to collaborate with you. So thank you so much. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being on the Imagine AI podcast. I hope you have an amazing day and talk to you soon. Thanks, Chris. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.